Well, good evening and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program. Thank you for joining us. Coming to you from the offices of the Coming Home Network International, Central Ohio. and But really, I'm coming to you over EWTN Radio, and we are grateful for that opportunity. Deep in Scripture is a weekly program in which I invite friends to uh, join me on the program to talk about their favorite verses. And during this last uh, couple months and for the rest of this year, we're going to focus on scriptures that inspired us to follow Jesus Christ, that helped us understand our calling, uh, helped us understand how we could uh, use the skills and the gifts and the opportunities that God has given us for His glory. And uh, all, most of my guests, I shouldn't say most, I should say a good number of my guests are converts to the Catholic Church, and so often the scriptures that they're uh, referring to are ones that not only brought them deeper to Christ, but helped them discover the beauty of the Catholic Church. When we talk about deep in Scripture, I just need to remind the audience that it is an equivalent to sola scriptura. I mean, that's that's really uh, you know bad theology because the the scriptures were never intended to be alone. They were given to us by the Holy Spirit through the Church, and uh, so Christ intends that we understand the scriptures in the context in which they were given. It was a group of bishops that gathered, that determined the canon of the New Testament. That's why we have it. And so if we're going to study the Scriptures, we need to study it under the same inspiration that we believe guided them to choose these books. And so our guest tonight is a familiar guest if you watch EWTN. Dale Alquist is the host for a number of programs on EWTN about his favorite writer, G.K. Chesterton, and Dale is the president of the American Chesterton Society, host of the EWTN series G.K. Chesterton, the Apostle of Common Sense. He's the publisher of Gilbert Magazine, which I highly recommend. He has written two books on Chesterton. He's edited three and is the associate editor of the Collected Works of Chesterton, published by Ignatius Press. He's lectured at many colleges, universities, and other venues, including Yale, Columbia, NYU, Cornell, Rice, and the Vatican Forum in Rome, a number of other places. He gets around, gets around a lot because, and I really appreciate the work that Dale does because this great writer, theologian, philosoph- philosopher, for many years essentially became a forgotten man, which is, maybe Dale can address this when he gets on, but it's because those who have risen to control in the universities of the world are the ones that often decide who are the great writers, who are the theologians, who are the historians, who are the, the, uh, the writers that we should remember and, and honor as great. And so you have someone like G.K. Chesterton or Hilaire Belloc or others who are great defenders of Jesus Christ and his church, and because that often comes up in their writings, then the more intellectual milieu push them aside, and they become forgotten. But I will say that in many ways, the reason we can uh, appreciate G.K. Chesterton so much today is because of the work that Dale Alquist has done and is still doing. He's the co-founder of Chesterton Academy, a new independent high school in the Twin Cities, and the executive producer of Man Alive, a film based on a novel by G.K. Chesterton, which will be be released hopefully sometime this year. Dale received a B.A. from 
Carleton College in Northfield, Minnesota. M.A. from Hamline University in St. Paul, Minnesota. He lives in Bloomington, Minnesota with his wife and six children. I do want to mention a fine book by Dale in case you're interested in, in uh, if you've never read Chesterton, or maybe you have, and, and uh, I'll be honest that uh, there were one or two of Chesterton's books that were difficult in my own journey to, to get through, and part of it was I had to get the kind of the pace and, and tenor of his writing. Once I did, he's, he's wonderful. But a good maybe introduction into that is a book called Common Sense 101, Lessons from G.K. Chesterton. Now I ask Dale to choose some scriptures for us, and if you go to our website, deepinscripture.com, besides seeing the picture of Dale standing there with his arms akimbo and his bio, and our phone numbers and emails, you will see the scriptures that Dale has chosen for us tonight. Usually I have my guests chose choose one or two, but I'm thinking that, and Dale, you're going to hit me for this, uh, when you come back line, but uh, following in the footsteps of your favorite writer, you've chosen a bunch of verses for us to look at tonight on this program. You've chosen Jeremiah 6.16, Proverbs 15.1, and then Psalm 16.1-11. We'll look at that in a moment. We remind you of the website. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to give us a call, you can do so at 800 664-5110 or 740-450-1175. Let me tell you that if we're broadcasting at night. Uh, if you call us, don't be afraid. You're going to get put online immediately. One of the staff will take your call and then probably write down any question you might have and then pass it along to me so that Dale and I can answer it online. Or you can send me an email at marcus at deepinscripture.com and also remind you that if you go to our website, this program is broadcast live on the Internet, and you can click on the link at our website and, and uh, again, watch Dale Alqua stand there akimbo while I move around a little bit in our studio. If you'd like to also contact Dale, you can do so at chesterton.org. O-R-G. Now, these scriptures that Dale has chosen, he's chosen all Old Testament texts, and uh, he'll talk a bit about why given his background. He's a convert to the Catholic Church from Baptist traditions. And these are scriptures that I'll read to you now before we take a break, just so you can have them in your mind as we reflect on them, because they're all scriptures that challenge us to trust God, to, to recognize, though, that in our walking and following of God, there will be resistance from people that don't want to hear what God has to say, and therefore don't want to hear what we might want to say for our Lord Jesus. Um, let me begin first with Jeremiah 6, then Proverbs 15, and then on to Psalm 16. Then we'll take a break. But first, Jeremiah 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look, and ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is, and walk in it, and find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. And then Proverbs chapter 15 verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a hard word stirs up anger. I'm wondering if that has something to do with G.K. Chesterton. We'll find out in a moment. Let me read Psalm 16 verses 1 through 11. Preserve me, O God, for in thee I take refuge. I say to the Lord, Thou art my God, and I have no good apart from thee. As for the saints in the land, 
They are the noble in whom is all my delight. Those who choose another god multiply their sorrows. Their libations of blood I will not pour out or take their names upon my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. Thou holdest my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I keep the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my soul rejoices. My body also dwells secure. For thou dost not give me up to Sheol, or let thy godly one see the pit. Thou dost show me the path of life. In thy presence there is fullness of joy. In thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Mark your calendars and pack your bags. The Global Catholic Network is bringing you another EWTN family celebration. On August 8th and 9th, we'll be in Birmingham, Alabama, celebrating this year's theme, Rejoice in Hope. Join some of our most popular hosts, Marcus Grodi, Raymond Arroyo, Barbara McWigan, Father Wade Menezes, The Donut Man, and more. We'll have inspirational talks, Holy Mass, Family Corner, a kid's concert by The Donut Man, and a live taping of a special Crossing the Goal with Danny Abramowitz. For more information on this free event, log on to EWTN.com or call 205-271-2989. The EWTN Family Celebration, August 8th and 9th in Birmingham, Alabama. We'll see you there. Here's that number again for more information, 205-271-2989, or log on to EWTN.com. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host, and uh, and I'm wondering, uh, Dale, are you there from uh, Minneapolis? Or no, uh, Milwaukee. No, Minneapolis, that's right. Minneapolis. I am here, Marcus. It's great to be here. God bless you. Well, it is great to be with you. As I've often said on both the Journey Home program and this time, the, one of the best things about uh, Journey Home and, and this program is I get to gather for at least an hour with good friends. <laughs> it, the problem is I can't see you, which is, but it's great to... To have you join us, and uh, and thanks, and let me publicly thank you for all the work you do with helping people today appreciate G.K. Chesterton. Thanks for those very kind words. I'm I'm really privileged to do what I do, and it's wonderful to see the the great results and the great fruits that that it has borne. Now, I was joking a little bit earlier about uh, the comparison of you choosing a lot of verses in G.K. Chesterton, um, and I'm wondering, just a little thought before we jump in the verses. You've done so much on G.K. Chesterton, and I. I'm wondering if one of the problems today for people is that, sadly, our modern culture, our, the attention span and patience with writers hurts us from appreciating some of the greatest writers of all time. Oh, that's, that's absolutely true. And it's interesting, you know, with Chesterton, people do have to, if they read a Chesterton book, really have to sit down and concentrate. But there is the interesting thing about Chesterton in that he works for the modern audience because of his great quotations. He actually does give you the sound bites that the modern audience uh, lives on because he's so quotable. Yeah. You know, when he says things like angels fly because they take themselves lightly, 
you know, that's a great <laughs> line, and that's all we need to hear sometimes. <laughs> but it is true that, that as for the sustained argument, the, the well-constructed paragraph, boy, it, it does take patience, and the, and the modern reader doesn't have it as much as, as they used to. And, and I know this to be true. Um, when I wrote my novel, How Firm a Foundation, when you're, when you're trying to write a novel, uh, right now I'm writing a biography, if you're going to use illusions in uh, the writing, write articles for newspapers, if you use illusions to what you assume your audience knows, we live in a different world today than, let's say, Chesterton did when he wrote 100 years ago. That's true, yeah. He, when he, he would make these literary illusions and, and always assume that his audience was as, as smart as he was. And that was kind of an act of humility, really, on his part, <laughs> to, yeah. to think that he always gave his audience more credit than they probably deserved. But, uh, but you know, one of the things that he always alluded to, uh, interestingly enough, is, is Scripture. Because in, in his writing, uh, I mean, the English, English literature is, is really founded on Scripture. Mm-hmm. And so there's always these... these interesting biblical references coming up in, in ways you don't expect. Uh, that's what's so interesting. He, he never uses a verse to, uh, to pump up his argument, but usually to, to illustrate it in, in a very uh, shocking and surprising way. And I want to encourage any of the listeners to turn off the TV. You don't have to turn off the radio, but you can turn off the TV once in a while and pick up a book and, and enjoy it. It really challenges your mind, the, the visualization that happens in our mind when we read that gets lazy when we watch television or movies and such. But I want to encourage you, when Chesterton is unique, the reason I think he's unique is, um, and, and Dale, I'd love to have you comment on that too, because on this too, because after Queen Elizabeth, the period of the late 1600s, early 1700s, one thing that happened in literature in England was that the writers had to be very, very careful on what they said when it came to religion and, and interpretation of Scripture. And so one thing that happened in much of the English writing in the 1700s and on is the, the, uh, the verbiage grew and grew and grew, but they said less and less and less because they, they had to be careful what they were saying and so they hid what they were saying behind lots of verbiage. And in Chesterton, and also with that, of course, the Catholics could say very little. Most of the Catholic writers in the 1700s were writing from the continent, uh, the recusant writers. But in Chesterton, we see the boldness of his defense of the faith within the arena, both of culture as well as the church, but, but being very clear in his writing in a way that wasn't always true before. Oh, that's, that's a very good point, because um, he, he was writing boldly about the Catholic Church in a way that was really unprecedented. Uh, and, and I think Frank Sheed talks about that when he, when he read Chesterton, and, and Belloc too. He, he said it, it was so refreshing, because no one was writing about the Church in such a yep. straightforward and un, undefensive way. Uh, posture. They were they they were boldly claiming uh, the truth and and explaining it in in vivid terms and and straightforward and colorful and witty and it just hadn't been done before. It was something new in in, in English writing. Well, let me apologize because I'm 
I'm using up a lot of time. We could, You and I could wax eloquently about Chesterton for more than an hour, but this program's not called Deep in Chesterton. <laughs> we, we should probably move along to this, this other book, the Bible, Deep, then. That's right, Deep in Scripture. And you chose this, uh, these selections for us tonight. Uh, just, just briefly, why these verses? Well, the, the, the three passages that I chose have, uh, have all been important to me, both in, in my Catholic faith and just in my daily life. And they, when I was asked to, to choose some verses, these three came to mind immediately. I, I didn't have to think hard at all that, that I wanted to, to at least reflect a little bit on these three passages. Did you first become aware of these back when you were a Baptist? Oh, I think I knew about them uh, when I was in my Baptist days, when, of course, I was uh, always studying the Bible very, very much, um, uh, particularly the, the Proverbs. But I think I saw them in a completely new light as I became Catholic. All right. Okay, let's grab this first one, Jeremiah six sixteen. Let me read it again and then talk to us, Dale, about uh, you know how this verse touches your own journey of following the Lord. The writer uh, says, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Well, this was probably the verse that that really got me thinking about the Catholic Church in a new light, that the, the Catholic Church represents the ancient paths, mm-hmm. the old way. And I suppose the the Chestertonian angle on this, which which should be mentioned, is is he's all he is defending tradition. He's always getting us to look at at what is what has happened before us. What did our forefathers come up with? Um, which they obviously came up with for a reason. You know, be, before we we reject what they what they believed, let's at least look at what they believed. Uh, and he, and and he says, you know, the the modern myth is that progress always means. You know, new is always better than what is old. And and actually, let's pause there a second, because that is, I think, for me, one of the most uh, mind-opening uh, things that I learned from Chesterton and, and Belloc and others of that period was the, the addressing of this myth of progress that was gaining momentum, I think, towards the end of the, 19th, the uh, 19th century. I think H.G. Wells and right. Shaw. End of the 19th, early of the 20th, yes. And, and the, the thing is, as I was mentioning before, where on the one hand, Belloc and Chesterton were kind of lost to many people's uh, thinking, the, the uh, proponents of the, the progress uh, motif won the day to the point where most people today not only presume progress, but use that interpretation even when they look at Scripture. Yes, yes. Uh, and, and Chesterton points out the whole fallacy of, of that idea that you can't, you don't really have progress until you tell us what your goal is, and then we know whether or not we're progressing towards it. There's no such thing as progress for progress's sake. You don't, you don't move ahead unless you know what your goal is. Well, there was, it also tied in at the time to the Darwinian oh, yeah. idea that there was a natural... Improvement, that everything's just getting better naturally by itself. Yeah, there, and there was an optimistic, always there be... You know, it's, it's not wrong to be optimistic, but it's what is it based on? Yeah. What's your hope based yeah, on? Yeah, what is it hope? What is the end in mind? 
Yeah. And and you know, and so Chesterton is always a, a critic of of so many modern ideas that are simply embraced only because they're new. And he says fallacies don't cease to be fallacies just because they become fashionable. And so this this verse did make me consider the Catholic Church, the ancient paths where the good way is. Walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. And that's a great promise, a great promise. When I read this verse, what struck me is that in every phrase in this verse, the, um, the impetus is upon the individual choosing to, um, to act, all right? Um, in other words, it is. It becomes our responsibility to seek after truth. Yes. We believe that we're guided by grace, but the writer Jeremiah, in his exhortation, listen, listen to the commands. Stand by the roads and look, and ask for the ancient paths where the goodwill is, and walk in it. And then you'll find the what's more the passive and find rest for your soul. That becomes kind of the result. But it all begins with choosing to turn into a direction. Again, it sounds like Jesus. Yes. Seek and you will find. Yes, seek and you will find. And, and, and everyone, what everyone does want is rest for their souls. Everyone is looking for that peace of soul. And here's the way to do it. It's, 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 it's in the old ways. Not, there, there's nothing new under the sun. There's, a, there's an old way. It's still the right way. Now, again, you may want to bring Chesterton into this, but that last line is very interesting because after Jeremiah has said all of this to those that will hear him, and not everybody listens. Some don't hear. Their ears are stopped up by, by you know, years of, of choosing to turn in different ways, but some will listen. But that last line... But they said, we will not walk in it. And what I find interesting about that, we will not walk in it. It's not like they don't know the ancient past, or they don't know they ought to be seeking truth. They don't know. It's that they're choosing not to follow. Yes, it is an active choice. And, and, and they're also choosing to become narrow. Chesterton has this great line, and it's in his book on St. Francis of Assisi. He says, men will not believe because they will not broaden their minds enough. And, mm-hmm. and one of the things that, they, that people shut out is, is the ancient truths. Uh, they're, they're so obsessed with modern ideas that, that they become very narrow-minded. If they, if they look deeper into the, into the historical traditions that, that built our culture and our faith, but also you know, the, really the great thoughts have all been have all been expressed, <laughs> <laughs> and if the, if they would consider what has come before, that's that's where they would gain their faith then, and and they would have a much broader perspective. And you know, it's interesting you say it that way because uh, not just the great thoughts have all been been expressed, but so have the bad ones. Oh yeah, all the bad ones have been expressed already. Too. There's <laughs> nothing new there. <laughs> I mean, when you look at some of the the aberrant theologies that have risen, especially in the last five hundred years. 
where people think, I finally figured it out, and I've got this verse and this verse and this verse plus this verse minus this verse equals this new idea, and they think they've come up with something new, but you can go back to the 3rd, the 4th, the 5th century, 6th century, and you say, oh, wait a second, this guy had that view, and those that were in the church recognized, excuse me, that's, that's not accurate, that's not according to the Spirit. And if you're not in touch with the ancient paths, you don't know that the path you're about ready to step out on has been wrong for a thousand years. You just don't know it. Right. That's right. Yeah. Ch- Chester talks about that the yeah, the great the great saints address the heresies that haven't you know even uh, been expressed yet. They no. they, al- they already have an answer for them even before they're articulated. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's take our next break. And uh, Dale, when we get back, let's look at Proverbs. Good. Fifteen one. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host. I'm joined tonight by Dale Alquist, and you're hearing this on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. This Saturday is the Good Fight's one-year anniversary. We will celebrate with the incomparable Cardinal John Henry Newman and the delightful Dr. Richard Garrity as our future saint. That's the Good Fight, Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. The Good Fight comes to you live each Saturday only on EWTN Radio. For times in your area, log on to EWTN.com. Follow the compelling journey of one man who became a Church of Christ minister and found himself entering the Catholic Church. Bruce Sullivan shares his conversion story in his new book titled Christ in His Fullness. In this book, he communicates a passionate love for Christ and the inexhaustible treasures of grace found in the Catholic Church. Perhaps you too will discover the same riches in the fullness of Christ. To order a copy of this book for yourself or a friend, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Well, welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program, joined tonight by Dale Alquist. He is the, uh, the the most, I was going to say, the, the number one expert on G.K. Chesterton in the world, whoever was. <laughs> um, but I know you're humbler than that, <laughs> my friend Dale. But I will say that you probably today are at least the biggest proponent of, of the, the beauty of the wisdom of G.K. Chesterton and his writings. Well, I, I do appreciate the role that I get to play in... in getting people exposed to this great thinker and great writer and great Catholic convert. The disciple of the apostle there you of common sense. <laughs> All right, you chose as your second text for our discussion tonight, Proverbs 15.1. Let me read that. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a hard word stirs up anger. We don't need to spend too much time on this one because we have an entire psalm to consider, Marcus, but I do want to say <laughs> two things about, about this. First of all, it's a very obviously a very Chestertonian yeah. uh, proverb because this was G.K. Chesterton's great strong point in that he, he, he was considered a man with no enemies. Uh, he knew how to debate in such a charitable way. He, he, people could not get angry at him because of his charity. Mm. 
And and when he had his public debates and even even his debates in print, he always gave his opponent some sort of credit, gave gave his opponent some kind of praise, and and made them feel good. Even even if he took you know their argument and then demolished it completely. <laughs> <laughs> but but he would only argue against ideas. He would never argue against a person. And he would always try to find what the common ground was first before showing where their their thinking uh, went in two different directions. And and so it was it was such a great witness on his behalf for, of of God's love. He, he he when he argued he didn't want to simply crush his opponent. He really did want to convert his opponent. He wanted to win the argument, not for the argument's sake, but for his opponent's sake. He's trying to get the other guy to see the truth. And now, that's an act of love. I'm wondering, um, as a verse that you chose for yourself, uh, it's certainly modeled in Chesterton, not not quite modeled as well in the life of Hellar Bella. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, I think this would be a good a good uh, opportunity to say that Belloc probably did not practice this verse as well as he might have. <laughs> and and that's a great way to, to address it with the two bookends, one the opposite and one more a model of this verse. <clears throat> For yourself, um, was this a verse you needed to hear that brought you on a journey, or did you find no, this more no, natural I, to your yeah, understanding? Yeah, the reason, the reason I brought this verse up, first of all, because it is so Chestertonian, but you know what? It's, this is a piece of advice to live by every day. Mm-hmm. And you know what I'm thinking of particularly, Marcus, is, is email. <laughs> I mean, this is, I, I, this is a really valuable lesson that I've learned. I learned it a long time ago, and it's something I practiced very, very carefully, and that is, Never send an email when you're angry. If you're angry, do not send an email. Get up and walk away from the computer and do something else and calm down, and then you can write in a calm manner. And people will say things in email that they will never say face-to-face because because they'll just, you know, ready, fire, aim. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's such a great piece of advice and it's it's using this verse the soft answer turns away wrath but people can get into these email wars with each other and say things that are just absolutely regretful to each other well especially because it, the problem with email as with in many ways any written communication is that it leaves uh, int- it open for interpretation yes. Yes. Um, you know, we try in emails to use smiley faces or whatever it is to, if we say something, then we think they're going to take it too seriously, put a smiley face at the end or whatever it is, as if that's going to cure everything. But, you know, in some ways, the beauty of, of the old letter, especially 150 years ago, was that if you if you wrote a letter really quick out of anger, well, first of all, if you had to make sure that it was legible, uh, which my writing is not at all today. Right, right. But if you had to make sure it was legible, by the time you finish the letter, letter, you're off and over your anger. Yes, yes. But if you aren't, you still have to fold it and put it in an envelope and, and, and address it and put a stamp and, and tear, walk it down to the post office. you got lots of time for that to cool off. And yep. then if you're still mad and it gets in the mail, and then you regret it, 
you could probably ride a horse faster than it was delivered in those days. <laughs> so you had lots of opportunity to correct a mistake. Email, the minute you push that send button, you're in trouble. Yep, that's absolutely right. And so. the devil laughs. Yeah, yep. Yeah, All this so. technology is good. It's, it's God-given, but we have to use it wisely. That's, that's the whole point, yeah. And, and we can, you know, Chester talks about the fact that we've come up with the best forms of communication in all of history right when we have nothing to say <laughs> and, <laughs> and boy was he uh <laughs> prophetic <laughs> it was very prophetic. i mean had he, most of it hadn't been discovered yet when yeah, he was I around know. i know but this is this is a this verse is so chestertonian in its uh in, in reflecting the the man's own spirit but also uh what what great advice for the our forms of communication today let's not be angry when we respond to each other because all you do is stir up more anger. Anger never accomplishes anything. Mm-hmm. It's you you never make a good point when you're angry. You don't well, w- you don't win anyone over. That's right. And there's that 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 scripture text. It's from the Old Testament. It's repeated in the book of Ephesians, in which we're called to be angry but do not sin. Right. Right. That real clear distinction. And I think that... And, and the send button is usually when the sin happens, is when you hit the send button. <laughs> there you go. But I, And I think, you know, Chesterton... Um, I mean, I don't... I, I wish I was more of a scholar in Belloc. I have, I've actually read more of Belloc than I have Chesterton uh, on my journey into the church. A lot of his books on how the Reformation happened and, and, and characters of the Reformation were very influential in my own journey. But he seemed at times, you know, when when... You know, for him, Proverbs 15, 1 would read a little differently. You know, a soft answer is wimpy when a hard word can be used. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's Belloc's interpretation of it. But he would say it, and then I've often wondered whether it was interesting that whether Chesterton was sometimes there to pick up the pieces. It, it's true. There is a, there is a good story of, of Chesterton actually calming Belloc down in, in, in uh, an uh, incident where they ran into H.G. Wells. and, and uh, Well, that would definitely get uh, them Right. Upset. And Chesterton was, was kind and gracious to Wells, and Belloc said, how can you even talk to that man? And, and, and Chesterton had to calm Belloc down and say, Hillary, not everyone is like you. <laughs> well, let's go to uh, Psalm 16, if we would. Yes. There's a lot in here. Yes, there and is. And rather than read it all through again, I encourage the audience, you can go to the website, deepinscription.com, and see it if you don't have a Bible in front of you. Where do you want to begin? Because it's a well, wonderful you know, psalm. I, I want to say one thing in just in general about the psalms, Mark, because I think everyone should... Uh, I mean, the psalms are so great for, for meditation. They, they express every one of our emotions. They're all dealt with in the psalms. But I would encourage uh, the listeners to to find a favorite psalm and memorize it. Yes. And and make it part of your just your daily prayer. Re- recite this psalm as part of a, a daily prayer. And this is a this is a really good one for daily prayer. I, I think I probably pray this psalm every day. Hmm. And I, I actually memorized it in uh, in the New International Version. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Believe it or not. Back in your evangelical Back days. Back in my right? evangelical days, right. But it's it's actually quite a, a beautiful um, translation it's very it's a very lovely translation if you don't mind i'd like to just recite it in the uh no that's fine sure in the new international version keep me safe O god for in you i take refuge i said to the lord you are my lord apart from you 
I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices, and my body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. There's, there's several things about this, about this psalm that really have deepened my understanding of the Catholic Church, Marcus. Mm-hmm. First of all, there is the very uh, clear reference to the Eucharist in uh, verse 5, where, Lord, you have assigned me my portion in my cup. And in one translation says, mm-hmm. you are my, my portion in my cup. I think that's what the Revised Standard Version says. That's right. You're, you are my Lord portion is. in my cup. Mm-hmm. I mean that's that's the Eucharist. Yep. That's that's a wonderful uh, look at that. And then then there's the, the references to the saints throughout this psalm. Uh, it's a right an overt reference to the saints in in verse three that the saints are the, the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. And the communion of the saints is something that is such a great discovery for uh, someone coming into the Catholic Church who who you know from the Protestant background who's just had no. Uh, no understanding and no appreciation of the communion of saints, and suddenly to realize that the saints are part of your delight. And when we, we studying scripture is is such a great thing for for us as evangelicals. It was always so so edifying to study scripture. When you discover the saints, all of a sudden you discover applied scripture. <laughs> you see how how the scripture has been lived out by people who came after the Bible in the last 2,000 years in the history of the church, the ones who brought really the Bible to life in, in their actions and in their, in their lives. And, and that's, that's the way to really understand Scripture in a new and fascinating light to, to see how the, how the saints have lived it out. In fact, I'd like to comment on this for some of our audience that, that might be wondering um, your connection of the reference to the saints in this psalm to the Catholic understanding of saints later. And I'm trying to think how I would have thought back when I was a Presbyterian pastor. Certainly didn't believe in the communion of saints the way I do now as a Catholic and didn't even use the word saint except to refer to just good Christians in my congregation. But the thing that in my own journey to the, to the church that awakened me to some real truth that I think is absolutely essential in the interpretation of Scripture, is when I read the Apostolic Fathers, and by the Apostolic Fathers, I mean those collection of the earliest writers of the church outside the New Testament, of writers who learned their faith from the apostles directly. And so I mean the letter of Clement and Barnabas, uh, maybe Shepherd of Hermas, the Didache, some of these earliest 
groupings that both Catholics and Protestant scholars group as the Apostolic Fathers. When you read those writings, and many of those writings were written at the same time as the New Testament books, and um, or a little bit later, in the maybe first 150 years of the Church, when you read those Apostolic Fathers, they rarely ever quote one of the New Testament documents. Because it really isn't until the end of the 4th century that the New Testament documents are finally and officially declared and canonized. There were a variety of groupings of the New Testament documents during those first years. Now my point is that in the earliest writings of the church, as the church was moving out from the apostles and their disciples, they used the Old Testament as their scriptures. We see that when Christ met with the two along the road to Emmaus and is explaining the Old Testament in relationship to Jesus and the church. Well, when they would read the Old Testament, it wasn't the way we might read it today because we so focus on the New Testament and then there's this old group of books. For them, the Old Testament were the testament of their lives. It was the Old Testament that they quoted. Clement, on and on and on, quotes the Old Testament. And so the earliest understanding of the idea of saints, the, the holy ones of God, is not only in the writings of the New Testament, but directly connected to verses like this verse in the Psalms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that's really crucial. For the saints in the land, they are the noble, in whom is all my delight. As the early preachers of the church use the Old Testament as the foundation for their preaching, it would be verses like this, upon which they would help the new Christians understand what they were to become by grace growing in holiness. Another thing I wanted to point out and, and ask you about, verses 4 and 5, I notice, at least in my translation, there's a common word, those who choose another god. And verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. Good, good, yeah. So again, we're drawn back to that Jeremiah concept of this is an act of the will right. guided by grace. Yep. Yeah, that's that's very good. Um, and I think there's there's one more reference to the ver- to the saints that I think is kind of interesting. Oh sure. And that's in the um, verse ten. You know, the uh, you will not abandon me to the grave or let your holy one see decay in, mm-hmm. in the NIV. And of course, that's a reference to to Christ who 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 uh, rose from the grave. But it's there's also another reference to the saints. There's these incorruptible saints who do not see decay. Yep. And that's a, that's a fascinating uh, phenomenon within the Catholic Church. Oh, yeah. It was something I had not heard of at all before. I mean, Yeah. Well, I remember when I discovered that as a Catholic, I, I'm, I thought, well, that's really interesting. <laughs> 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 uh, there's, a gra- there's a great book about that uh, by Joy- Joyce uh, Carol Cruz. Uh, oh, yes. Joyce Carol Cruz, The Incorruptibles. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it comes right back to this verse. You, the, the holy ones will not see decay. There's, there is that, uh, that promise for, for certain saints. And, and then, you know, right after that, you've made known to me the path of life. The path of life. This is, this is part of that, that gospel of life mm-hmm. in the culture of death that we have to constantly be, be reminded of. God has made known to us the path of life, and we have to always choose life. We know what the right thing to do is, and uh, and, and so I, I'm encouraged by that. That's such that's such a 
a powerful and timely verse there. There's also two other references to the Eucharist that I think are really interesting. In, 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 in Eucharistic adoration, where uh, verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. <laughs> and then down again in verse 11, you will fill me with joy in your presence. And, and these, are, these are great verses to meditate on in, in Eucharistic adoration, to, to be in the presence of God. And if you set the Lord always before, before you, well, you won't be shaken. Not, nothing really can harm you. If, you. if you constantly are focused on God, nothing can shake you. I'd like you to expand on a phrase in verse 2. Um, seems simple enough, but when I think about the praying of this phrase and meditating on it, I can see many angles. But talk about when he says, I say to the Lord, Thou art my Lord. What, what does it mean to you, this idea of Thou art my Lord? Well, it, it's hard to think of it apart from the, the next phrase, which is, apart from you, I have no good thing. It is, God is everything, and we are totally dependent on him for all the good things in our life, and it is this total devotion, and there is no other. There is no other. Yeah, but uh, the reason I'm bringing this up is often when I've talked to people about, for example, praying the Liturgy of the Hours, which is mostly the Psalms, um, or on, on Mass, in Mass we always have a Psalm between the the Old and the New Testament reading. Mm -hmm. And often the question is, well, how do I pray these things? I mean, how, how do I connect with it? Um, they're talking about things that happened a couple thousand years ago, and I don't know, Sheol? I mean, what's that? And, uh, <laughs> but you know, here's an, an interesting phrase to meditate on, because these four words, thou art my Lord, is an amazingly humble uh, uh, surrender of ourselves. Uh, and each word in itself carries great meaning. And again, I've always emphasized that, to me, being deep in Scripture uh, is is reflecting on the meaning of a text in the context of our wider faith, which is what you've been doing, Dale, when you when you recognize that there's a connection to the Eucharist in in these verses that were written centuries and centuries and centuries ago. You know, I, I think of uh, I think of the Apostle Thomas who in the presence of the risen Christ, mm -hmm. says, my Lord and my God. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of, it's, it's often the first thing I say when I, when I walk into Eucharistic adoration. And it again reflects, or is reflected in, in this verse, you are my Lord. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. It, it is this, a total act of adoration, of devotion, of acknowledgement of God being God. It is the te deum, as it were. Mm -hmm. Thou yeah. art God. Yeah, and com in comparison or contrast to verse 4, where others have chosen another God, mm -hmm. in verse 2, the first word is thou. Yes. And, and that word in itself, to meditate, in other words, to sit quietly, 
peacefully and, and consider this God who has provided every single thing that we are and need, thou, and then the next word, art. That's a, the neat thing about that word is it's a present mm-hmm. tense reality. Mm-hmm. It's not thou were or thou will be, but right now it's a, it's a commitment that we make at this present moment, which in the, the, the understanding of often of, of the verbs of Hebrew and Greek is that it's not just something that happened once and it's done, but it's a continuing reality. Yes, a continuing presence, yes. So thou art this continuing reality. And then the word my. It's not that we own God, but there's a sense in that, this humble recognition that he's chosen us. Yes. Which is a very New Testament thing. It is a New Testament thing, and and, and certainly our our Protestant brethren can... Relate to this idea of the of the personal Lord. He is our personal Lord in this sense. He is 